Okay, great. Welcome to uh, the first uh, session of Equipped, How to Minister in the Spirit's Power. This is a class, in, it's, it's not specifically a class on the spiritual gifts, although a lot of it will revolve around that. It's really just kind of more of a like, how can I be equipped to minister with more of God's power kind of thing in, in general. So we will go over spiritual gifts, uh, but we'll go over other things as well. So um, the book that I'm kind of working from that I recommend for supplemental reading is called Miracle Work by Jordan Sang. This guy's a pastor in Hawaii. He's hilarious. It's kind of like a, he sort of has like a snarky, sarcastic, humorous edge to him, but he's just really funny, really godly. And he just really makes like doing the supernatural stuff, like he, he presents it in a, such a down-to-earth way that, that helps you think like, I can do this. Like this is, this is real, this is the real deal. So if you want, if you're looking for a supplemental work, uh, you, you can get that. You, it's not necessary to read through it, uh, but I'll draw from it uh, in this class quite a bit. Uh, Charles Kraft, this, is, this guy was a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary years ago. He said, the only kind of Christianity in the New Testament is Christianity with power. I love that quote. There's no such thing as powerless uh, Christianity in the New Testament, anywhere you find it. And so, therefore, today in the church, we should not find any other kind of Christianity other than Christianity with power. Amen? But unfortunately, I think we, we need to kind of relearn this again, all, all of us, really. Um, so let's just open with a Bible passage, one of my, one of my favorites, uh, resurrection passages, Luke chapter 24. And in this class, I, I usually like to nominate people to do the um, Bible reading, but I'll be reading the passages because I'm recording this for podcasts and I want the listeners to uh, be able to hear it uh, and they won't be able to if, if people out there read it. Okay, Luke 24, now Jesus is raised from the dead and he's meeting with his disciples and it says this starting in verse 45. This is like the very end of Luke's gospel. He says, says then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Everybody say power. power. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about that word in this class. So Jesus, essentially what we can draw from this passage is that he wants his followers equipped in two specific ways. And that is, number one, uh, he wants us to understand the scriptures and how they all point to him. So it told, told us that he was with his disciples and he began to open their minds and illuminate their hearts that all the prophets and psalms and all the writings of the Old Testament were all about him. They were all pointing to him, showing the need for him. And I think he wants us to be able to see the scriptures in the same way and be able to share uh, that with others. Next week in our discipleship groups on uh, Wednesday and Tuesday night, we're going to talk about learning to tell the story of scripture in a few minutes. And that's going to be a really powerful way of pointing people to Jesus. But the second thing is that he wants us to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he tells them, go wait in the city for what my father promised because you're going to be clothed with power, he's, of course, talking about the, the Spirit who is going to come on them at Pentecost and truly clothe them with spiritual power, with divine power to be able to be what he calls witnesses, people who give testimony to who he is and what he has done 
uh, for humanity. But we need both of those things. So these are the primary means. There's other things involved in the Christian life, but these are the primary means by which we will be effective in winning people to Christ and his kingdom. And if we, if we have one without the other, if we have number one, if we have number one without number two, we become overly intellectual and we think that we can win people into the kingdom with just having really good biblical arguments and theology. There's a place for that. But if we only have that, we become overly intellectual and overly dependent on ourselves. But if we only have Holy Spirit and we don't pay a whole lot of t- attention to the scriptures and don't give ourselves to studying them so that we can share them with others, we can go off the rails, okay? You've you got to have biblical, the Holy Spirit's never going to contradict what he says in his written word, so you've got to kind of know what the written word says, and that actually enables you to minister more effectively in his power. But people that don't pay too much attention to scripture, but it's all about Holy Spirit experience, they tend to go off the rails theologically, and we don't want that to happen. But we need both of those things to be able to minister to God's people. And we, and we don't want to, you know, go like heal the sick. Jesus said, heal the sick and tell them about the kingdom. So we don't want to just go heal the sick and say, hey, Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. We want to know the scripture so that we can say, hey, um, I want to tell you the story of Jesus. So, so let me just tell you a quick story. On uh, Friday night, I went out with some friends to, to Lake Eola to just share the gospel. And we were going down there and man, the perversity of our city is profound. There was like a pro-trans event and all this going on. But in the midst of that, we were walking around sharing the gospel. And um, what we did was we would pray for people. We'd pray for healing if they needed or whatever. But then we would say, has anybody shared with you like really briefly the story of Jesus? And people would say, I kind of know a little bit from my grandma or whatever. And then we would just spend about five minutes and say, can we have five minutes of your time? And we would share the story of Jesus as well. And we saw people encounter the Lord, which was really, really cool. But we need both of those things. So here's a question that we could just talk about for a minute before we move on. If we have the truth of the Bible, why do we need spiritual power? If we have God's written revelation, what what do we need the Spirit's power for? So you're saying we need the Spirit's power to be bold to witness for Jesus, right? Yeah, because just knowing the scriptures alone won't really make you bold for witnessing. That's right. We need the Spirit to show us the truth within the scriptures, right? Exactly. Just like Jesus was illuminating their hearts to the scriptures, we need the Spirit plays that role for us. That's right. And spiritual power makes the gospel personal. It helps people experience it, not just learn it, learn, learn facts in their head, right? Exactly. All of those things. Great, great answers. Okay. So the word we could just describe as the written revelation of God that instructs, encourages, disciplines, and leads us ultimately to Jesus Christ. Okay? Because we need the word and the spirit. That's what the word does. And the spirit is the power, there you go, Tal, to demonstrate the truth of the gospel, make it personal, and the salvation, the wholeness that it brings about. So the gospel is not just a, um, it's not just uh, something that gives people knowledge so that their souls can be saved and they can go to heaven. It's actually for the whole person. Let's look at this passage that is kind of tucked away towards the end of the book of Romans. And Paul says something really interesting. 
chapter 15, starting in uh, verse 17, he, he says this, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Then he goes on and says, so there's, there's word and spirit, right? What I have said, the word, and what I have done, the spirit's power. And he says, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And I think Paul's making a point here. I think the reason he uses that word fully is he's defining, before he says that word, what fully is. It's to say and do the work of the gospel, right? So he's like, I didn't just partially proclaim the gospel in words. I actually also demonstrated it by the Spirit's power. That's what it is to fully proclaim the gospel, okay? So, um, you know, the, and the, the point being here that the gospel is not just for the head, but for the whole person. When a sick person gets healed, they see that Jesus is real and... Um, and encounters him. Or even, even when you just pray for someone, people encounter the Spirit's power through you. So last night we were walking, we were just taking a neighborhood walk, and we had this neighbor lady, an elderly lady, a few doors down, and she has, we've got report from other neighbors, she's been struggling really bad with some arthritis and some stuff, some swelling in her legs and pain in her right knee. And we're walking down, and we always kind of had a sense of Carolyn that she was, she was nice, but not maybe like very, uh, uh, we're not going to let people in deep, you know? I, I don't know if that makes sense. But so we're walking, we're talking to her, and we're having this friendly conversation. We said, I said, how are you feeling these days with, with, every, with your health issues? And she said, oh, terrible. And she starts telling us, I've got this, and I'm trying to get into the doctor for another MRI and whatever. And I, and I have this thought in my mind, of course, that says, don't bother. She's not open. I had that thought, literally. Okay, when you have those thoughts, you need to go, that you, Satan? Because <laughs> it is. And then I, I just said, I, I don't know what came out of me, but I just said, can I just pray for you really quick? And she goes, yeah. And I, and I just, I said, can I put a hand on your shoulder? And I, and I just prayed a gentle, short prayer over her. And she was weeping. And she like grabbed my hand and she was just like, thank you. Thank you. And I don't think that she's a Christian. Um, but you know, now, but so, so I'm just telling you that, that the spirit's power flows through action, right? And not just, not just through words and intellectual knowledge. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I was praying for her healing, so I believe I'm going to check in with her today, and she's going to say she's feeling better, right? Because the gospel is, is not just for Carolyn's head, it's for her arthritis and her pain in her knees. It's that Jesus wants to make her whole. Um, Matthew chapter 9 is another great example of this. It tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what is he doing? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, that people can repent, turn from their sin, be saved, turn to him and follow him. But he also, that's combined with compassion for healing of the sick. So those things, Jesus never separates out those things. When the people encounter the gospel, it should bring wholeness into their lives, right? They should begin to get free from mental oppression and torment and bodily sickness and, and poverty and things like that. The gospel should really bring wholeness into people's lives. Okay, this is a, a squeaky chair, isn't it? I need some WD-40. I'm going to stand up because it's driving me crazy. Okay, so why we need the Spirit's power? 
to keep our witness Christ-centered. Okay? Too much dependence on word and my knowledge of the word can put the focus on me, and it can become an argument with the person where it's my intellect versus their intellect, and I have fallen into that trap more than once, trust me. Um, look at 1 Corinthians 2. Just so, there's so many great examples. I just wanted to, to kind of soak us in the word this morning on some examples of, of uh, the importance that the biblical authors and, and Jesus himself saw in, in spiritual power being behind our ministries. Paul says this in chapter 2, starting in verse 2. He said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he had the message. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. So in his own strength, he said, I was just weak and nervous and my knees were knocking. But my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What was Paul concerned with? He wanted to keep his witness Christ-centered. And only through a demonstration of the Spirit's power would people see that it was God behind the message of the gospel. Paul himself says, I, I was in fear and trembling. I was, I, I, as, a, as a man, I'm weak when I stand before people to preach the gospel. I'm nervous. So, so you're in, if you're nervous about sharing the gospel with people, you're in good company with Paul. But he said, but still, the power of God works through me. Okay? And we can experience the same thing even in our nervousness and in our, um, in our trembling to, to, to be witnesses for Jesus. The Spirit also helps us overcome fear and timidity. Okay? Paul, again, in 2 Timothy, is writing to Timothy who, who probably, his young protege, who probably had some significant issues with timidity and being afraid about sharing the gospel in certain circumstances. And so Paul reminded him and he wrote to Timothy, he said, first he said, fan into flame the gift that is in you. And then he said, for the spirit, he was talking about the gift of the spirit in him, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, right? In, in uh, one form of self-discipline is growing in our ability to witness for Jesus. It's a discipline to regularly share Jesus with people. So, but then he goes on and he says, a lot of people don't add this part, the next verse. They just, they, they like the memory verse of 1-7, which is great, but then they don't go on. And it, he goes on to Timothy and he says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So he's connecting the need for relying on the Spirit's power. He's saying, this power is in you, Timothy but you've got to fan it into flame and remember that you've got to rely on that power and believe that it's in you because that's the power that's going to help you overcome timidity and give you the power and love to be able to not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Okay, so it's the Spirit's power that helps us to not be ashamed of sharing Jesus with people and what they might think. All right, we're going to kind of get practical now and talk about some practical things for how can I get this power or how can I walk in this power and I'm, gonna, um, I'm stealing this idea because I love it so much from Jordan Sang's book, but I just think this is a really helpful way about thinking about growing in spiritual power. What's the practical ways that I can grow so that this power that's in me is actually released through me? And he calls this the power equation. The power equation. Okay, so... Most of us could, if we, if we were just starting off at the gym and we wanted to get, if we wanted to get chiseled like this guy on the right, we would have to start off, we have to start off doing something, right? We have to start off, right? And we might start off with, you know, the, the 10 pounders that she's got or whatever in her, her hands. And that's probably about all I can lift really when it comes to physical weight. But 
if I want to get to from there to there, there's certain things that I actually have to engage with, right? I have to, first of all, I have to show up at the gym regularly. I might have, I probably got to get a trainer. I need to do certain things. I need to eat a certain way. I need to uh, run. I need to do some cardio. I need to do some lifting. I need somebody to spot me. There are certain things that I have to be intentional about doing for growing in power. And it's the same when it comes to spiritual power. The power is in us, but to see it manifest and released through us, there are certain things that we actually have to actively do so that God can use us more effectively, okay? And that's what I want to talk about over the next few minutes here. So number one is authority. And the first part of the equation is authority. And we could define authority as your right to wield God's power effectively, your right to wield God's power effectively. And authority, the authority that the Lord gives us is a privilege. It's not an entitlement, right? We don't, we don't like presume on it, but it is a privilege that the Lord has given to us by his grace to walk in his authority. Jesus told his disciples, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, talking about the demonic realm, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you, okay? And he was saying that to the 72. They weren't the 12, they weren't the apostles, they were just 72 regular people who he sent out and he gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick and all of that, okay? And it's the same for us. But then he also said in another place to his disciples, when they had trouble casting out a demon out of a young boy who was having these epileptic fits, he told them this kind only comes out by prayer, okay? And what I want you to see here is that authority is given freely by Jesus, but if we want to grow in our ability to, to use that authority to see miracles and to see min people ministered to and made whole, we, we actually have to do something. So Jesus told, told his disciples, he's like, your prayer life's not strong enough. That's why you're not having success with every demon you're trying to cast out. You need to grow in your consecration to prayer, right? And your author authority will, will grow through that. So it's a both gift from the Lord, but his expectation that we cooperate with his gifts, okay? It, it, you know, this, when it comes to spiritual gifts, um, the Lord gives those freely, but for us to see them manifest, we actually have to take risks to use them. If I ask the Lord for a gift of healing prayer, the only way, uh, the only way I'm going to know if I have it is to begin to try to start laying my hand, get my hands out of my pockets and get, start laying them on sick people, right? So... Our level of authority, we could say, is determined by our obedience to Jesus. Our level of authority is determined by our obedience to Jesus. If I get in a rut of continually dismissing the nudges of the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I'm never obeying, I'm not going to have a whole lot of authority to minister when I do. But when I start paying more attention to those and I start acting on some of them, my authority is going to increase. Okay, to be able to minister to people effectively. Because Jesus says, there's an obedient one who listens to me. I can, they can be a channel of my power. Okay? Jesus said this himself. He said, if you remain in me, right? if you abide in me, prayer, being close to me intentionally, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So our authority and our, it, it goes hand in hand with our obedience and our intimacy with Jesus, that his teachings, his commandments remain in us, meaning that we, that actually implies that you, you're walking in them. Okay. So let me just give you an example. Now, you can't come up with a formula 
for this, but let me just give you an example, kind of just like a, an ex, uh, what, what this could look like, okay? So scenario one and scenario two, okay? This is just an example. I'm not saying this is the guaranteed every time, okay? But as a sort of rule of thumb, you think scenario one, okay? Let's say I spent my week more or less on mindless entertainment. I didn't spend very much time on prayer. You know, I kind of, you know, hung out, went to the bar with my friends, and I just watched movies all week long, and I didn't really spend much time in prayer. I, you know, three days that week, I spent about five minutes in prayer. Okay, that, that, but that's it. I gave in to temptation to sin a couple of times. I, 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 you know, asked forgiveness, of course, and was restored, but I gave in to sin. It just kind of was spiritually lazy, okay? Well, then at the end of the week, I have an opportunity, or I'm at church or somewhere, and I, and I pray for a sick person, right? I'm bold, and I pray for a sick person. And the result is, you know, they're really thankful, and they feel encouraged, and they're really grateful, right? Okay, so that, I'm not saying the Lord won't use you if you mess up and you have a spiritually lazy week, but think about what might happen it, with your authority and ability to minister to people if instead your week was like you, you dedicated 30 minutes to an hour a day each day in prayer. You spent time Bible study. You were journaling what you felt you were hearing from the Lord. You set aside two times that week to just little maybe 10 minutes of worshiping the Lord, putting some worship music on and just worshiping him, getting in the spirit. Then, you know, you saw someone had a Kickstarter for a family that lost their house in the hurricane and you don't have much money at all, but you just felt like the Lord said, I want you to make a sacrificial donation. And you said, okay, Lord, I'm just trusting you here. You know, I'm sending them $50 that I don't really have, whatever. And then, you know, you get in the same situation where you have the opportunity, you pray for a sick person and you see a healing. Now, again, this isn't a formula. I'm not saying, because sometimes the, just by the Lord's grace and how he operates in his sovereign decisions, sometimes he just heals people out of his grace, even though you just were not very committed that week. That does happen sometimes. But it seems like the biblical principles, that's the, that's the exception rather than the rule. It seems that the rule is that the more we're consecrated to the Lord, the more authority that we have to minister in his power effectively. Okay, but don't, don't, like, don't like write that down and think, okay, I'm going to do exactly that and then everybody's going to get healed that I pray for, right? I'm just saying a lifestyle of this versus a lifestyle like this is going to have a whole lot more authority and spiritual power. All right, next, if you want more authority for ministering in the Spirit's power, look and pray for opportunities for obedience. If you pray for those, the Lord will give them to you. And you'll be like, oh man, he's answering my prayer, shoot. <laughs> I asked her, darn it. <laughs> um, and then when you do, though, you will see that the Lord will use you. The Lord wants to use us, friends. He wants to use you. And he wants to use you on the first time that you step out in faith to do something obediently. He wants to use you, okay? Um, Jordan Sang says this in his book. I love this. He says, every temptation, okay, every temptation to sin, whether it's spiritual complacency or it's uh, lust or pride or covetousness, every temptation is an opportunity to choose obedience and grow in authority. And one of our greatest temptations is to say, no, Lord, I don't think that I'm supposed to talk to that person, right? I don't, I don't think my neighbor's going to be open to it if I pray for her arthritis, Right. But every temptation is an opportunity to choose obedience. But I also knew there was another voice in my head saying, pray, just offer to pray. And she was clearly, clearly touched by the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? And so that's a growing in, in authority, the more we're obedient. Okay. Cruising right along. Any questions or thoughts at this point? I want to give 
opportunity for discussion. We don't need to rush through um, the material. All right. So let's talk about gifting. That's the second element of the power equation, authority plus gifting. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, which is where he expounds on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So who gives us gifts? Holy Spirit. He distributes them. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, you can read that on your own time. That is great reading for just meditating on the fact that the Lord wants to use you and he has given you gifts to build up his church and to advance his kingdom. Okay, then uh, Paul says this as well. A couple chapters later, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And in another place, he says to uh, pursue the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. So Paul is, a, it's a, we could say, an apostolic command from an apostle to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? So we have a responsibility not only to just like expect that, you know, all of a sudden God's just going to start using me powerfully, but to actually be intentional about seeking God for the gifts. Okay? Now, where you have a spiritual gift, whether it's healing or generosity or prophecy, you'll experience more power in that area of ministry than others. Now, I, I believe that people who are close with the Lord can operate in different gifts, but some people, the, are, the Holy Spirit's going to sovereignly give them a gift, and they're, they're, they're more or less going to have um, what we might call a leg up, right, for ministry in that particular area. Okay, so if the Lord gives you a gift for healing, your success rate is, might, might be a little bit better in that area than it is with giving people prophetic words of encouragement because the Lord has just ordained in his sovereignty to give you that gift and he's chosen to use you in that way, okay? Let me just stop there and ask, for, ask if there's any questions or, um, or thoughts on that, the idea of getting spiritual gifts from the Lord and... Um, and needing to and desiring them. What do you think about that idea of like actively pursuing the spiritual gifts? What do you think that might look like? Praying and asking the Lord. Praying and asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, studying that gift. Yeah. Walking it out. Mm. So you must have, you must have read my notes. <laughs> she she cheated. So that <laughs> was good. So so how do I get gifts that I don't have, okay, or that I don't know that I might have? Okay. That's a question I want to answer. Number one, ask. Okay, Laura said it. Pray and ask the Lord. Pray and ask the Lord. Lord, I would like you to use me in the gift of prophecy. I just really think that I have benefited from that, people giving me words that could have only been from you, and I want to be able to do that for others, right? And, and also, of course, you know, checking when you ask the Lord for a gift, just making sure that your heart's in the right place, right? right? Because what we're, what we're asking for when we ask for spiritual gifts is not just an extraordinary power to do a particular thing. We're asking the Lord to entrust us with a ministry, 
I wanna, I'm going to say that again because it's so important. When we ask the Lord for spiritual gifts, we're not asking for him to just empower us to do a particular supernatural thing. We're asking him to entrust us with a ministry. Okay? So it's better to think about spiritual gifts as ministries than anything else rather than powers or something that we have. Okay? And we want to steward them well. The second one, Lord didn't say this one, but um, another way to get gifts is through what we might call impartation. Paul said to Timothy, he said, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. And there, I, I know through, through personal experience and through the testimony of countless others that somebody who is walking in spiritual power and in spiritual gifts, the Lord often will use them to impart things to other people through the laying on of hands. That's very biblical. The idea of transfers of power is very, very biblical. Now, you, you want to be careful there and not think of it in a sort of a new age way. Oh, I'm channeling my energy to you. But in praying for people and laying your hands on them and asking the Lord to impart something to them, the Lord's vessel of power is often a person who is already walking in that gifting and authority. And the more that you walk in a gift and an authority, the Lord will often use you as well to lay hands on people. I mean, he tells his disciples, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Well, why didn't he just say, just pray for the sick and they will recover? Well, because there's a transfer of spiritual power from a believer who's indwelt by the spirit to the body of the sick person. That's why I asked the neighbor last night, can I put my hand on your shoulder when I pray for you? I want the power of the Holy Spirit in me to be imparted to, uh, to the person I'm praying for. And then number three is, you know, Laura, you said, walk it out, T take action. And that's right. You have to take risks. If you ask the Lord to give you a gift of healing, to keep going back to that example, then, you know, take your hands out of your pockets and start putting them on sick people and asking the Lord to heal them. That's one of the, that's, that's one of the ways, number one ways that spiritual gifts will get activated and begin to flow. That's how, that's called fanning it into flame, right? What the Lord has deposited into you. Okay, the third part of the equation is faith. So authority, gifting, and now faith. Faith, I want us to think about for a minute, rather than a what, as a why. Faith in why the result is going to happen. Whether that is, I'm going to get a word for this person, this person's going to be healed, this person's going to encounter Jesus when I lay hands on them and pray for them. This person is going to um, get out of poverty as I commit to praying for them. Whatever it is, I want us to think that what is important here in faith is thinking about why that prayer is going to be answered. Jordan Sang says this in his book, Supernatural ministry is kind and helpful. It's a kind and helpful thing. Healing people is kind and helpful. Of course God is willing to empower you to help the suffering person in front of you. And my point is this. Why the prayer is going to be answered is because of the character of God. And we have to put our faith in the, the why of God's, why is this prayer going to get answered? Why should I expect it to be answered? Why should I expect this person to get healed right now rather than maybe gradually get better in a few months because of God's character, the Lord loves people and when they're suffering, he wants to deliver them from the suffering. And the more I trust in his character, my faith, that's, that's an increase of faith. Okay? So I, you know, I've heard this before and I think it's so helpful. Don't put faith in your faith. If you do that, you're, you're, 
your focus will become inward. You'll be thinking, are my, is, are my emotions working up my faith enough? And are, am I getting my mind stimulated enough to think about God and, and trust in him? If you do that, it'll become inwardly focused and the power won't flow out of you. But if your faith is in looking towards the Lord outside of yourself and thinking, Lord, you are so compassionate and good and you want this person to be healed today when I pray for them, you're going to see more prayers answered as you begin to learn to think in that way and trust the Lord in that way. Jesus said this about the Lord's character and when it comes to giving. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he give? And then Matthew says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so the Lord is going to make his Holy Spirit manifest to heal sick people and give words to people. And even, you know, thinking about other ministries such as... Um, as, uh, as generosity and praying for people to get out of poverty and those kind of ministries as well, trusting that the Lord wants this person to be whole and fed and nourished and to have shelter over their head, trusting in his good and compassionate character is going to help us see more results and more answers to prayer. So anything, we can say anything that helps us trust more deeply in God's love and generosity helps our faith go up, right? That's a big thing, and, and one of the ways that that will, to kind of practically do that, is to read the scriptures. Read about Jesus' compassion for uh, the sick, like I was, uh, just like from Matthew 9 that we were reading a few minutes ago. The more that I look at Jesus and how his um, ministry operates out of compassion, the more my trust in the Lord is going to go up. Could somebody just greet this, could somebody greet this couple and ask them if they're looking for us? <laughs> um, great. People are going to start showing up. So we're going to wrap up in just a minute. Okay. And remember Jesus' words to the lepers. said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, what? You know, go away and pray for a few more hours and confess your sins. No, he didn't say that. He just said, I'm willing. I am willing. And I think that, I think that um, this is what we need to assume is the case. Especially, in, I think, in praying for sick people or in praying for people to get a breakthrough in some area of their life, I think that we need to assume that God's willing and not only able but willing to do it. Um, now, sometimes there are hindrances to a person getting a miracle or a breakthrough that they need because there is some unconfessed sin or something that's kind of a blockage in their heart. There's unforgiveness in their heart. And we need to help people work through that. But it doesn't mean that God's not willing Right? It just means that there are some personal barriers on their end that might, they need to get free of so that, that the blessing can flow towards them. But we should assume that, that the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he still has compassion for sick people from his throne in heaven. Then another factor, though, in seeing miracles happen is the faith in the room. And that is... Um, you know, the, the outcome of a miracle often depends on the kind of collective faith of a room, um, but it, it, it does depend on the faith of the minister, and it does depend sometimes on the faith of the one being ministered to, but also sometimes the other people who are hanging around. So when Jesus was at Nazareth, it said he could do, very, he, he could do no miracles except that he healed a few sick people is all he could do because, they're, because of their unbelief. They, were, they, just, they saw him as kind of kooky and losing his mind, and they just didn't trust that he was who he said he was. And it, that level of faith in the, in, the, in the area hampered God's work, okay? 
And I don't know exactly all the dynamics of that and why it works that way, but it seems that the Lord is really looking for expectation, whether it's you ministering, the person receiving, trusting in his goodness and grace, and the people that are around in the room. So the more that we can trust in the Lord's compassion and love, our faith increases for miracles, okay? Because that's what motivates him to bring healing and, uh, and, and, and help to people who are in need, okay? The other important thing is that um, faith-inspired miracles are often the channel through which we see faith-inspired salvation. And what I mean is that when people believe and they receive a miracle in their body, that is the sign, you know, as it's been said before, healing is the dinner bell of salvation. That can often lead to the person actually receiving Jesus. And that's, that's what we want, right? If we're ministering to unbelievers with God's supernatural power, the goal is for them to see that what God has done in their body or what God has spoken to them through a word of you know, revelation that he gave to us is, is, that brings wholeness into their life is what he wants to do for them overall, which is to save them and to forgive them of their sins, right? Okay. We can do this. Consecration. This is the last one. This is the last part of the power equation and perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the most important. It's de- it, it, is, it is of utmost importance. So if you hear any four of these, listen, listen closely to this one. Um, our consecration literally, kind of breaking it down etymologically, means something like in sacred condition or set apart for holy purposes. Okay? So if this was a sacred object and I prayed a blessing over it, I said, Lord, use this, da-da-da-da-da, and I, you know, I set it apart and it, nobody could come close to it because it, it's... It's consecrated, right? That's why we call when we pray, when we pray over the bread and wine, we call that a prayer of consecration because we're asking the Lord to use the bread and wine on the communion table for a holy and specific purpose, right? To feed us with the grace in the presence of Jesus, okay? So this is, a de- this is from Jordan's book. He says, consecration refers to the way we dedicate ourselves to the things of God through specific sacrificial acts. The more of ourselves we set apart exclusively for God's use, the larger our capacity to flow in God's supernatural power. So that's kind of a continuation of the idea that we were talking about when we were talking about authority, is that uh, the more that we offer ourselves to the Lord through self-sacrifice, the more we can become a vessel of his supernatural power. And again, these things aren't formulaic where you're like, okay, my consecration this week is going to be this, this, and this, therefore I'm going to see a miracle on Saturday at the end of the week, right? It's that we want to live lives of consecration to the Lord so that his power is always flowing through us. So here's an example. You ever seen one of these? What is this? Funeral procession. So what do you always see in a funeral procession at intersections? Right? There's a traffic officer going like this and he's holding up traffic on this end and he's holding up traffic coming from this way so that what the the procession can flow through. And that's a picture of consecration. When we make sacrificial acts, whether it's through committing time to prayer, whether it's fasting, whether it's sacrificial giving, whether it's um, uh, worship, it could be a number of things, going out to witness, we're in a sense putting a pause and a hold on feeding our flesh, the traffic of consumption into us. We're putting a pause on that so that the power of God can flow through us. I just, I love that picture of consecration. It's just very, very helpful 
for me to think about it like that. We want more of the, the traffic, the procession, and the flow of God's power to work through us, and we need to be intentional about, um, in, intentional about consecrating ourselves so that can actually be the case. So it's essentially like clearing away worldly activities, okay? And you can, you can think of a million different things, right? Um, we've been talking about this a lot lately, just about, you know, last week talking about entertainment consumption or uh, it can be food, right? Fasting or fasting from certain things, any kind of things like that. But Jordan says it typically involves giving up our normal acceptable ties to worldly fleshly things in order to make space for higher spiritual ones. Okay. So looking at regular patterns of your, our, our life that we've just kind of become accustomed to and go, you know what, I need to work on this. This, this, this is a kind of an issue and I need to begin to learn how to sort of set this aside, maybe one step at a time so that I can have more of God and be more, more committed to the things of heaven, to the things of the Lord so that he can use me. And now here's the thing, okay? It has to be costly. <laughs> Consecration is costly, Right? It's not like, you know what, I'm going to fast from romantic comedy, so I guess I'll just watch action movies this week instead. You know, it's going to be tough because I really love rom-coms. That's not costly sacrifice, right? Giving, uh, giving to a cause, you have all kinds of loads of extra money that you don't need for anything, and you give a pinch of it to a cause. That's not really a sacrificial act, right? But when you give out of not being able to give, right? When you sacrifice 15 minutes to the Lord in prayer, when you don't feel like you have 15 minutes because your day's schedule is so busy, that's a sacrifice of consecration that's costly because it might get you a little bit behind, right, in things. All those kind of things are, you know, are costly. The Lord sees that. And I love this quote from the book. He says, For heaven to gain space in us, the world must lose. For heaven to gain territory in your heart, the world, and I would say the flesh and the devil, have to lose territory in your heart so that the Lord can gain more control over us. Now think about this, this going back to this idea about the character of God and how that's kind of the nature of God is at the core of who we're called to be. Self-sacrifice driven by love, okay? When you make costly sacrifices of consecration, you don't do it because you want to prove to yourself that you can do it or that you can prove to Jesus that you can do it. You do it out of love for God and for the people that he wants you to minister to. And think about this. Self-sacrifice, that very idea, sacrifice driven by love is actually at the very core of God's nature. And the demonstration of that, the ultimate demonstration of that is Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. That was the greatest display of the nature of God is when Jesus hung on Calvary, showing that he was willing in the face of all of his enemies, pelting him with insults and mockery and pinning him to a cross, that he would be willing to sacrifice himself in love for them. And that's the very nature of God. So it makes sense that God, for us to be able to flow in God's power and be like him in that way, he would require us to be like him in his self-sacrificial loving nature so that that power can flow through us. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I just think that's such a powerful idea worth, worth really hanging on to. The Lord is not calling us to, you know, go be that and I'll consider, what he's saying is consecrate yourself because that makes you more like me and able to sh- be able to share in my holiness and in my nature and we're close and that's how my power is going to flow through you. And that's, that's really the goal, right? Consecration is not an end in itself. 
Holiness is not an end in itself. The end of all those things is deeper union with Jesus and deeper friendship with Jesus. And being able to minister in God's power is really going to come out of that. These, these things, authority, gifting, all those things are means of deeper friendship with Jesus. That's where, where power is going to flow out of us. Okay. So here are some channels of consecration. Or actually, I don't think that's what I, I don't think that's what I, oh yeah. Here's a few, a few examples, and then we're going to close. Prayer, okay? Jordan Sang says, an hour in prayer is an hour that you belong to heaven rather than to the world. Okay. Right? Just as an example, prayer is, a, prayer is an act of consecration. Fasting, denying yourself food, fosters deeper dependence on the spiritual sustenance of God's presence. And I always tell people with fasting, don't, don't, you don't jump into that. I'm going to fast for a week this week and have lots of spiritual power. I'm going to fast for 20 days or 40 days or whatever. Start with trying to fast uh, lunch on Mondays. Start with that. The Lord sees that sacrifice and will, will feed your hunger for more. You know? And then maybe you move to just saying, I'm just going to fast period on Mondays, right? And then maybe the Lord shows you that he wants you to do a three-day fast, right? But you just, you take baby steps with all this stuff, right? The Lord's not expecting you to dive into the deep end and all of a sudden, you know, be this, this saint who has a halo around their head and fast, you know, three days every week and, you know, prays for hours and hours every day. You take baby steps towards this stuff. Worship, right? When we abandon ourselves to the Lord in worship, and I, what I mean specifically is just um, praise, praise and thanksgiving and song and all those things. When we abandon ourselves to true worship, that's an act of, that's a channel of consecration to the Lord. Too, too many people, too many of us, when we get, even when we gather for corporate worship, we're too, we're too focused on staying in control of ourselves in worship because we don't want other people to think that we're weird if we kind of just, you know, abandon all to the Lord right? But in heaven, it's not, we're not, it's not going to be like, you know, everybody has a hymn book standing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's not going to be the worship in heaven. So let's, let's let, you know, this priest that I was talking to the other day said, I believe every Sunday should be, uh, every Sunday's worship should be an encounter with heaven. And I said, amen. I love that. That's so good. That's what it should be. Totally abandoned. And then uh, sacrifice is a huge channel of consecration, and that's just costly giving in any form costly giving in any form, putting another person first. Honey, you pick the ice cream flavor. Okay. Um, even small things like that, right? Um, giving your time to God and others rather than self-indulgence. That's sacrifice, right? Giving your time to God and others. It could be that I'm I've got an agenda, I'm going shopping, I need some new clothes, I'm walking into the store, I only have an hour and I've got to pick up my kids, okay? I'm just giving an example, this, this didn't happen to me, but, um, but then I, I run into somebody and, I, and it's a person who I just know like, oh Lord, oh, they're so needy. Oh Lord, every time I see them, they just want to talk. They're always going on and on about their brokenness and all of that, right? A sacrifice would be to sit with them and listen and give up your hour of shopping to be with that person, right? As an act of costly love, right? And the Lord sees all those things. All those things, those are just examples. There's many, much more than that. But those are all channels of consecration by which the Lord sees and the Holy Spirit will descend, right? The, all, it, the Spirit's fire descends on an altar of sacrifice, right? That's like a principle in Scripture. And when we make sacrifice, it's like the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and His power is drawn to that. And he comes to rest on us and to use us. Okay. 
if you just share this from the, from the Gospels. This is what we'll close with. So Jesus had been ministering to the woman at the well, and um, he clearly he, he hadn't eaten that day or something. And his disciples um, come to him and they say, Rabbi, eat something. You haven't eaten all day, and you're out here in the hot sun, and you're in Samaria, and you're ministering to all these people. You've been healing people. Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, did somebody bring him food, right? The duh, disciples. <laughs> huh? Somebody bring you food, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you know, smacking my head. Oh, God, guys, don't get it. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay? He, he was consecrated, right? He was okay with pushing meals aside to let the power of God flow through him in ministry to other people. He was willing to push aside his other physical needs, his, his own needs, to be able to do the work. He, he's like, I didn't get a sandwich, so what? This woman from Samaria just got made whole, who was lost in sexual sin and all kinds of relationships, and now she's off telling her whole city about me. You know? And so that's, he's always our model. <laughs> he is always our model, and it's friendship with him that will enable us uh, to minister in God's power. Amen? Let's just close with prayer. Father God, we thank you for the promises of your word, what you've revealed to us, Lord, that you, have, you actually have expectations of us to cooperate with your grace and your gifts that you give us by your Holy Spirit. So I pray that uh, this word that you've spoken to us today would not return to you void, but that you would water these seeds in our hearts and bring about transformation even this week. Lord, I pray that each of us would begin to think more about small acts of sacrifice and consecration, not so that we can prove something, but so that we can grow in our friendship with you, Jesus. Because when we grow in our friendship with you, we begin to see people around us transformed by us because they begin to see you in us, because we walk closely with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.